Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday to all of you. Welcome back. It's like we never left. We are back here live and on demand, but let's be honest, not that much in demand right here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. Coming up a little bit later on on the program, three non-political questions. So, Aaron, that's my heads up because we know we both know you don't have those ready to go. Uh, Theology Thursday. We are going to, in honor of the lead up to the release of the nefarious film, we are going to go back and relook at the book that started it all. We'll begin our Theology Thursday series studying a nefarious plot coming up in the third hour of the program with the introduction, which has a bit of a backstory of where that even came from and the idea came from. And we'll get into all that for Theology Thursday coming up next hour uh, on the program. At the bottom of this hour, the return of the man who is responsible for the most viral video this show has ever produced. Arguably the most academically cited epidemiologist alive in America today. Dr. Harvey Risch, MD, Professor Emeritus from Yale. He will be joining us. And one of the questions I'm going to ask him, because I'm getting this question a lot from those of you that got snookered, bullied, uh, pressured into taking one round of dose of this jab by family members, uh, by the never-ending commercials and campaign of fraudulent campaign of government or your job what do i do now how do i get this out of my system etc that's one of the things i will talk to dr rish about coming up here at the bottom of the hour so make sure you don't mention it or you don't forget it i should say and definitely you're going to want to mention it um he is actually working on a healthcare co-op he announced that when he was with us here last in september uh, he's working on a healthcare co-op with our uh, with our friend dr peter mccullough we'll get into some of that and see what the progress is on that as well so that is coming up at the bottom of the hour you do not want to miss it But let us begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by two videos. At the World Economic Forum's annual confab, some pesky journalists were able to track down two of the most evil men in attendance. The first video you'll see is from the Rebel News, who were able to find Pfizer CEO and notorious horse doctor Albert Burla. Burla has never done an unscripted interview before. The second video you'll see is from an independent Japanese journalist who was able to find the globalist grand poobah himself, Klaus Schwab. Mr. Borla, can I ask you, when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. To that question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans- stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the com- countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Yeah, you have a little bit of red. It's not making Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? 
Are you proud of it? You've made millions on the backs of people's entire livelihoods. How does that feel to walk the streets as a millionaire on the backs of the regular person at home in Australia, in England, in Canada? What do you think about on your yacht, sir? What do you think about on your private jet? Are you worried about product liability? Are you worried about myocarditis? What about the sudden deaths? What do you have to say about young men dropping dead of heart attacks every day? Why won't you answer these basic questions? No apologies, sir. Do you, do you think you should be charged criminally for, for some of the criminal behavior you've obviously been a part of? How much money have you personally made off the vaccine? How many boosters do you think it'll take for you to be happy enough with your earnings? Nothing. Who did you meet with here in secret? Will you disclose who you met with? Who did you pay commissions to? In the past, Pfizer has paid $2.3 billion in fines for deceptive marketing. Have you engaged in that same conduct again? Are you under investigation like you were before for your deceptive marketing, sir? If any other product in the world doesn't work as promised, you get a refund. Should you not refund to countries that laid out billions for your ineffective vaccine? Are you used to only sympathetic media so you don't know how to answer any questions? Is that it? Shame on you, sir. Chairman Schwab, Chairman Schwab, I'm from Japan. May I ask you for? Uh, I'm from Japan. Yeah. And may I uh, ask you for a comment? No, we're on our we're on our way to the next thing. We're a bit late. Uh, oh, I but can just you. walk with you, you and then ask uh, questions. I think we're gonna we're gonna rush actually. But thank you. Uh, Thanks very much. Uh, but uh, which which uh, media are you with? Uh, I am an independent journalist from yeah, Japan. Yeah, no, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yes. I have and, to ask. But you. thanks, me, but thank me. you. Uh, but uh, I, I would like to ask oh, just, just one more, one question. Uh, you. Hey, thank, you. thank you. Take care of yourself. Uh, uh, I can just walk and ask you. Thank you. No, sorry, we're in a big rush. We've got so many things tonight. But, but for us, but it's, thank very, you. it's very uh, I know. precious moment. I know, I know. Yeah. You can, I can, he's got so many people stopping yeah, that yeah. if you were to stop for everything, yeah, I know. We win. that's the unfortunate. Yeah. So I'm very sorry, but thank uh, you. But thank you for trying. Do, do you know the thank voice you. that uh, worry about globalism? And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. They are America's really only American mobile phone company. And if you want to make the switch, they will give you access now to all of the major networks around the country. They all pretty much use the same network anyway. That means um, if you are in with one of the big ones and you hate their values, you don't have to pay them directly any longer. Uh, you can get access to those networks because everybody's using the same towers with our friends at Patriot Mobile. They'll, if you if you make one switch to one tower and you don't like it, you want to go to the next one, they'll do that for you as well with their performance guarantee and you get that for free. 
can't beat it. They have phenomenal customer service too. Uh, when it comes to helping you make the switch from your carrier uh, to Patriot Mobile, and like a lot of you, we held on for a long time thinking it was going to be a big hassle before T-Mobile decided they were going to start censoring text messages on COVID, and that was the final straw for me. I didn't care how much of a hassle the switch was going to be. And it wasn't a hassle at all. And you've got teenagers. I've got, you know, a couple businesses. My wife's a therapist. Your needs can evolve on the fly, right? You might find out suddenly you need more data on a trip. Anytime I've needed them, they have done a phenomenal job. I mean, just an outstanding customer service team. So uh, if you want to take advantage of Patriot Mobile, now's the time to make the switch. Get a free activation with the offer code Steve when you go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Again, PatriotMobile.com slash Steve, or you can call them at 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. All right, let's let's get to what's inside Aaron's montage. And that the, the, the two exchanges there. Let's start with, with the horse doctor, Mr. Borla. Props to Rebel News. That's outstanding work there. And I want to make sure, I mean, Aaron made sure to highlight them in the lead up, made sure to leave their graphic up the, enti- up the entire time we played that clip. Let's highlight them again. That's outstanding. That's outstanding citizen journalism right there. That's incredible work by Rebel News. So let's give a hear here to them for that. I don't know if you counted how many questions they asked that Albert Borla either would not or could not answer. I mean, it seems like a lot in that five-minute clip, right? Mm -hmm. It was over 30, I think. Yeah, I think it's 39 is the number. It's, It's somewhere around 30 is the amount of questions they asked in that clip. As you watch that, before we delve into further analysis, I, I want to just get a visceral reaction. Because that's what our audience just did, right? If you're listening on the podcast or on Blaze Radio, you're watching on Blaze TV or Rumble later, you're, unless you saw this going around from Rebel News last night, you're reacting to this in real time. And your thoughts are what, Todd? Well, I'll reset what I said last week. How can you not be an anti-vaxxer after witnessing that level of disdain uh secondly about the journalism uh instantly i'm thinking about the people say well that's not journalism he's just browbeating them i don't the the more questions uh, that you bring up steve that many that just shows he's not serious he's just yelling at him okay now do uh chuck todd with senator ron johnson go he wasn't yelling at him at all by the way he was very respectful so yeah you you can't have it both ways stop that nonsense if you continue to hide like these guys clearly do, and only the, the question, the sh- the uh, the Rosetta Stone for all of this is Klaus Schwab turning around. Um, uh, what journalistic outfit are you from? Uh, not one of the slurpers. Oh, I must go. Okay, so th- listen, they they will only talk to the people who are more than willing to be their stool pitches. The same ones going right out right now and putting a fatwa out on a hockey player for daring to have an opinion. Do not play this game at all. That's why, yes, Rebel News has just decided the hell with all you people. You won't, you, you won't play ball. 
on any level. So yeah, when we come, we're bringing all of the receipts and we're shoving them down your throat as quickly as possible. I love how long that walk was and how he tried to get out of it. Let me try to go up these stairs. It's like, yeah, I'm Qbert or something. No, that goes nowhere. I better nice get a reference. Just losers. Aaron, visceral reaction is that's a walking, talking, well, not talking there, psychopath, just no conscience whatsoever. Somebody walks down the street, sees Steve walking down the street during the store. Hey, your uh, company is uh, filled with misleading claims. Your show literally killed somebody. That person would not be conscious, uh, co- conscious for very long. Why? Because they're wrong. They're lying. They're spreading falsehoods about your company. Yet Albert Bourla, listening to that stream of questions, questioning the, the COVID jabs, if those were lies, you are the CEO of that company. Wouldn't you take personal offense at that? Mm-hmm. No, you just don't have a conscience. That's all. It's a psychopath. That's, you just watched a psychopath. Not even a blanket denial. Nope. Nothing. Nothing at all. Have a nice day. And uh, that's a brilliant juxtaposition, Aaron, that you included that. I know you just made a reference to that, Todd. That's a brilliant juxtaposition that you included that with an attempt by an independent Japanese journalist to get Klaus Schwab on the record to talk. And you're not on the approved list. This is not new. We have, we have been watching this from the American presidency for going on two years. A list of who to call upon. A president who says, um, well, they, they told me not to, not, to, not to answer that. They told me not to call on you. They told me not to take questions. Who's they? Who is, who is the they? Who, who is that? I mean, it's the... Tail Hydra. Yes. These are all the same people. They're all the same people. And it's all of them against all of us. It's, it's what I said to Bobby Kennedy Jr. last week in Nashville when we taped Jason Whitlock's special. I, I said it right to his face. Man, I got into this business 15 or so years ago. To, you were an envi- people, you, I, that's when you were an environmental attorney. I got into this business 15 years ago to defeat people like you. That's why I, that's, that's what I thought I was doing when I got into this business. I didn't know a T cell from a T bone, man. I, I didn't, I didn't know about any of this stuff. Didn't have time to learn it. I got into this business to defeat people like you. And what the last few years have taught me is not in every way, but in most ways where it matters the most, the traditional left, right paradigm is a scam. Yep. It's an absolute scam. Whether it's a coordinated scam, whether it's stuff like Harmeet Dillon, who's running against Rana McDaniel for RNC chairwoman, uh, tweeting out last night, she can't believe the amount of RNC delegates that she has gone to to get their vote that have told her, well, I already, I already promised Rana I'd vote for her. And then she's like, okay, well, why are you voting for her? Well, because I told her I would. She's like, what is this, a school dance? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so whether, whether it's controlled opposition in terms of commission, like you're in on this, like you're part of it, right? You're, you're a purposeful false flag. That's what happens to a lot of Republican parties around the country. 
in states like Idaho, Wyoming, um, where Alabama, where you have no chance of getting elected to any meaningful office with a D after your name. These people just run as Republicans with the backing of the system. And then they just get in there and screw you. And that's, you know, that's how Florida became the, the ultimate swing state, became redder than Mississippi and West Virginia in one gubernatorial term because of what I just described. They just realized, hey, we, we, we can't get our people elected as Democrats in this state to any meaningful office. So we'll just run them as Republicans and just buy these offices and then just, they'll just be Democrats when they get in there. And the people are so dumb and mind-nubbed and lazy that they'll just vote for whoever has an R after the name, like yellow dogs, without vetting them whatsoever. Won't make a difference. And they've been largely proven correct about that. Mm-hmm. And, then there, and then there is... Then there is the controlled opposition by omission. So there is the controlled opposition by commission. That that, that clearly exists. No question. We could defeat that. Except for the controlled opposition by omission. I've pointed this out on the show before. We are arguably the most prosperous powerful superpower God has ever permitted to grace this planet. And yet we are in the midst of its demolition and deconstruction, not because the next generation of conqueror awaits at the shore with his army. No, we're, we're being undone from within by a bunch of a can even algorithm hacks. Mom's basement dwellers who have rebranded themselves as a social media mob. And we just we can't we can't tolerate being called names and being shunned. Or we're just not even paying attention. I'm a, not a member of a political party. I'm a member of a social club. I told Ron I was going to vote for her. Why? Well, I am. That's what we do here. That, 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 that superpower doesn't deserve to retain its status. It does not. And you are systematically watching that status dismantled because it doesn't deserve it. We could do something about the controlled opposition. The controlled opposition by commission. We could defeat that. There is no cure to our own soft-headedness, cowardice, complacency. There, that, that we can't overcome. All Rebel News did there, and they did it very well. So I don't want to water down the compliment I gave them a few minutes ago at all, because they deserved every syllable of it. But let's also be honest about what they did here. They didn't do something revolutionary. They didn't come up with something new, something we haven't seen before. They just cared enough to act on their convictions. They got uncomfortable. Yeah, that's all they did. Got on a plane, went to Davos and stood out there walking in the freezing cold because that was more important than whatever they were going to sit back here at home and do. That's it. That's all that happened. Every Fox News host could be doing that. Why don't they? Show business. Yeah. 
every senator could be, every Republican senator could be doing what Ron Johnson's doing. Why don't they? I'll take questions that have no good answers for all the money, Alex. We, we can't overcome our, a lack of give a rip. Can't overcome that. Preach. Can't, there, there's no antidote to that. Can't vote your way out of that. Can't be bothered. I said this a lot last year. Let me repeat it. I just want to be left alone. That's not my place to say. Please don't call me bad words and names. Loses in every history book. I, I mean, I can't. I, you won't find a history book where that wins anywhere. Anywhere. Watching that video last night with those questions. Made me reevaluate, frankly, some of the people I like and follow. What, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? What are we doing? I ask myself that every day. And I mean it. And I mean it. To not, to be in this business and not seemingly care at the end of the day that you actually win culturally, not individually, culturally, and or when you race to cultural defenses as are going on right now with the rainbow flag way faster to that than the cross. It's troubling. It's deeply, deeply troubling. I mean, we're, we're over here applauding that Kevin McCarthy has ended proxy voting in the house. So people actually have to show up to work to cast votes in person. Meanwhile, Albert Bowler, Bowler, you know what? Horse doctor. Horse doctor. Out there just walking around a free man as a serial killer, basically. Just, okay. The sad cool. answer. Hey, hey, but you know what, man? Oh, they're going to show up to, they have to actually cast the votes in the house. Okay. So... What do you think about the serial killer out there just walking around and hanging out with the 3,000 hookers and sex workers they brought into Davos, mm -hmm. you know, uh, for the for, for Party Time USA this weekend? Any thoughts on that at all? Anybody? Anybody? No? No. Okay. Cool. You know how fond I am of uh, Isaiah 1. Where would you yet be struck? I, I think we all know in this room and many in this audience, the sad answer to that is, what would it take, Steve? What would it take? I think we know. It's something far closer to taking your Netflix away or I your NFL Sunday ticket. I think that's the clear and it's and disgusting and unfortunate answer. I think that's clear. I, I think that's clear. Now, now, to be fair to our time, there has never been a time. I mean, our Declaration of Independence indicates that men are 
mankind is far likely to endure such insufferables as long as it mm-hmm. is convenient to do mm-hmm. so. And they, they, so that, I mean, <laughs> our ultimate forefather, given dominion over the planet, over all of creation, sits there as his wife is being deceived. And what does he do, do the entire time? Not a damn thing, actually, does nothing. Okay, so this is not new to the human condition. Correct. It is not new. What is new is there has never been a period of time before where the information of what evil is doing, has done, and will do more of in the future is as readily available as it is right now. And then combined, though, with the lack of will to do a bleeping thing about it. That's what's new. Okay? That's what's new. I mean, which tip on the dope rhyme is what you're going to discuss here uh, in less than an hour. And you yes. talk about nefarious because when nefarious realized this, he's like, oh, snap, this is how I take him down. Yeah, that's 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 what's new. That's that's what's new. I mean, one of the things that I mentioned to Ron Johnson, I asked him when I was on the Whitlock special, when does this reach a critical mass when more of your colleagues are like, all right, tribunals on Monday. And he made the point that uh, he, he went back and made the point about you know, we only had in Nuremberg because Eisenhower opened the camps and filmed and, and made the world see what was going on. That's there. my point about the Ray Rice video. People yeah. got to see the Ray Rice. That, yes. that was a great point that you made a couple days ago. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, unless you, how many Americans, how many people in the allied countries in World War II personally probably knew I mean, what's the Jewish population in the world today? Something like 2% of the world population. It's like, I know it's only like, I know it's only like 2% of the U.S. population is Jewish, okay? So how many people in the allied countries do you think personally knew someone who was a Jewish person who was let off into a camp, like had a personal firsthand experience with it? Probably not many would be my guess. Probably not many. How many people have a personal firsthand account of someone who's dead now because of these jabs, someone who's paralyzed now because of these jabs, someone who had to take time off of work because of a disability because of some of these jabs. What do you think those numbers are? Well, they've seen it, but in their mind, they haven't even considered whether it's that jab. That's how the magical power of vaccines are. All right. Let's just say it's just our own people, Todd. Mm-hmm. Still far yeah, more. Yeah. Yeah. Still far more. Yeah. Than anybody in 1945, from 1939 to 1945, who had any experience firsthand. I think that's with, probably true to some with, degree. Yeah. I would imagine. I would imagine just the viewership of this show mm-hmm. would be more people than knew about firsthand had an experience of what was going yeah. on with the Jewish community 50, 70 years you ago. Make a good point. Let alone Tucker's audience, everybody else's audience, Glenn's. Just the just the viewership of this show, I would imagine, is more. What, what, is the, what is the critical mass moment? And I, and I think I, I can't come to any other conclusion other than what you just said. It, it, the creature comforts literally just have to, that, which I, I hate, I hate and, I, and, and, and I don't like because those, I, I need some form of those things in my life as a Sabbath to wind down from being involved in this all the other time of the day. Right? Everybody does. You just don't form a religion around yeah, them. But it's very clear that yeah. we have. Yeah. And it's, it's very clear that 
I mean, well, we had lockdowns, Steve. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the NFL draft was still on the same as it always was. <laughs> it just was, it looked different, but it was still on. We we all watched sporting See, events with nobody in the stands, right? I mean, you know, I mean, you know, uh, we all every Netflix's numbers skyrocketed. Okay, I mean, I, it appears that that's what's going to it's going to have to be is that that until that comfort level of sensory overload satiation is taken away that there there probably just isn't a critical mass there's just too much pleasure to be found and distraction in other places to be willing to pay the price of what it would take to actually confront this evil and so it will it will mount it's cipher back into the matrix we go ignorance is bliss I mean, you watch that and you see the, you watch the, you go back to that video, you see other reporters from other media outlets. Like, what are they thinking? Mm-hmm. Like, like intellectually curious at all. Maybe these guys are liars. Maybe they don't know what they're talking about. Wouldn't you like to expose that? No. 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 No interest not a, at all. Not None? no question mark. No exclamation point. No. They've got hockey players to go after, Steve. I don't know that there's just ever been a time like this in human history. There hasn't. Where the information of the evil being done is as plentiful as this information is. And and yet the will to actually confront it meaningfully and do something about it in response just is, is not there either. Men without chests. Harvey Rich will join us from Yale University. You don't want to miss it when we come back. Stay tuned. Last year, because of people like you in our audience, we saw over 50,000 babies saved. And this year, we're shooting for over 70,000 babies um, through our friends over at Preborn. They have, over the history of their ministry, rescued well over 200,000 babies from abortion. And every day, their clinics save maybe up to 150 babies' lives. They do it with a two-pronged approach. Number one, they let moms see, hear the heartbeat of their child with an ultrasound Uh, and that cements that connection. But then they understand that it's not easy being a mom in crisis. My mom was, she was pregnant at 15. She said no to abortion, but then, you know, that wasn't an easy life. She needed help. And they offer that at preborn as well. Um, They love them both. Uh, They provide maternity care, even car seats, counseling, all of it for free for moms and their babies. Um, And they can't do that though without support from people like us. So if you want to make a donation, uh, 100% of it will go to helping save babies. One ultrasound is just $28, less than most dinners. Get involved today. Hit pound 250 uh, on your mobile device and then say the word baby. Pound 250, say the word baby or type it in. Or you can just donate securely. Donate securely when you go to preborn.com slash Steve. Again, that is preborn.com slash Steve.
He's one of the most academically cited epidemiologists alive in the country today, Professor Emeritus, MD, Yale University. Dr. Harvey Risch joins us on the program. And uh, Dr. Risch, it's an honor to have you back with us, brother. How are you? Uh, pleasure to be with you. Thanks. So when you were last with us in September, you should know we took a clip from that interview uh, when I asked you what the what the biggest scam of the last few years was. And you said the denial of early treatment like hydroxychloroquine and the lives that it could have saved. That en- ended up, Harvey, being the most viral clip in the history of this show. Oh. So um, I just wanted to say thank you for being willing to stand up and... Um, and buck the system here and tell the truth. And so it's an honor to have you back with us. Thank you. The ramifications of that are quite huge, actually, because it goes to almost everything in the pandemic, not just the people who would have been treated with hydroxychloroquine, Mm -hmm. but it also goes to the necessity of the widespread vaccination, um, you know, and and how many people have been affected by the vaccines negatively and all of that, The the whole, and whether people needed to have vaccine passports, and all across the world, all of that stems from the suppression of hydroxychloroquine. Do you believe those things were suppressed purposefully to set the stage for the agenda items that you just discussed? Or do you think those are coincidences? No, I believe that the um, organization of, of the management of the pandemic was planned in advance the, we know that there have been annual or almost annual planning sessions for management of a pandemic. It doesn't appear that those planning sessions have been altruistic. Um, they've involved spy agencies. They've involved the, the Chinese. They've involved, um, you know, uh, military. Um, it's, it's too widespread of a non-medical audience a non-public health audience to have been solely um, organized on the basis of just controlling an infectious disease. And so I conclude that there is well more afoot than, than we know about everything that's going on. And in fact, we know that hydroxychloroquine um, suppression activities occurred well before President Trump had even said anything about it, hmm. that in fall of 2019, the Minister of Health of France converted, changed the status of hydroxychloroquine from over-the-counter, meaning you could just go in and buy it in the shelves, to prescription only in France. And she did it by citing um, bogus uh, claims that the drug was somehow genetically damaging. That is completely absurd because this is a drug that had been used for more than 50 years in tens of billions of doses worldwide completely safely. It's one of the safest drugs known. And yet she did that because pharma already knew that the pandemic was coming and they knew that if they were going to have patent medications and vaccines that they were going to mass produce and sell to the tune of billions and billions of dollars that a drug that costs 40 cents a tablet, you know, less than $10 for a whole course of treatment is just going to economically disadvantage their expensive medications and vaccines. And so it had to be suppressed at all costs. I don't say this to be patronizing. I just want to I want to make sure 
you understand the implications, brother, of what you are saying. It is one thing for Steve Dace in a hoodie who barely made it out of community college to say that on my, you know, a ham and egger podcast. You're one of the most academically cited epidemiologists alive in the world. Ivy League guy. I mean, you are essentially saying that they were willing to let untold scores of people die uh, in order to serve a broader implementation agenda of a new revolutionary experimental treatment and technology that had never been uh, mass injected into human beings before. I, I know you understand that, but I just I want to underscore that. So I think that this proceeded in stages. At the time, hydroxychloroquine was suppressed starting in fall 2019. It was not known how many people would die. It was not known how bad and it, the pandemic would get, how afraid they would have to make people with all of the fear porn that's come out. Mm -hmm. So they didn't know that then. However, once the pandemic actually hit in April of, of 2020, say, when cases were occurring, there were people dying and so on, and they had a better estimate of what was going to transpire. The pharma companies knew full well that hundreds of thousands of people would die from this if they couldn't get treatment. And this was the official policy of CDC and FDA, as you might recall, telling people, go home, take Tylenol, drink water, and if you get really sick, go to the hospital. Meaning, no treatment, not even vitamin D, you know, uh, no supplements, nothing. They, the, this was a large-scale fraud perpetrated by our three-letter agencies against uh, managing the pandemic under the guise of some greater s scheme that they had concocted to use either expensive medications like remdesivir in hospital that largely fails and kills people in hospital, or waiting, spending a year waiting for a vaccine that has, as we've learned over the succeeding two years, a transient benefit that disappears after some months and in some people goes negative, meaning multiple vaccinated people um, in older age groups have higher risk of getting infected uh, than unvaccinated people. And whether or not, we, we still don't know whether the vaccines in the long term increase uh, all cause mortality or not. So we don't know whether the vaccines actually provide a benefit or are harmful. It's looking toward the latter, but we, it's, it's not confirmed yet. So the, the, the gist of it is that the vaccines have not proven to be a panacea for what is claimed. The models that have said, oh, the vaccines have saved 3 million lives or 30 million lives or whatever are all bogus models because they all have assumptions that are unverified. Uh, and untrue. And you change the assumptions in a model just a little, and it changes the, the, the conclusions dramatically. So the models cannot be relied on to say how many people have been saved by the vaccines. We don't know if any, and we do know that they've caused some harm. And so this is the whole conspiracy, you know. Us, we tinfoil hatters are, are seeing everything that's going on around us. I'm not the only one who's been saying this. There's been plenty of scientists who've come to these conclusions, people mm -hmm. who have um, much more inside information into the government workings than I do, who've come to the same conclusions. When we had you last on in September, you were announcing a new endeavor 
uh, with uh, several associates, among them Dr. Peter McCullough, of course, and a very renowned, decorated uh, scientist and cardiologist called The Wellness Company. By the way, if people want to check that out, twc.health is the website. TWC for The Wellness Company, .health is where you want to go. Uh, doctor, I'm getting a lot of questions from people now who took singular doses of this early on uh, with, with hope or they were pressured um, uh, by a job, et cetera, that are now wondering, you know, am I a time bomb? When, how long does the spike protein stay in my body? What can I do to mitigate against it, et cetera? Do you have any answers from a treatment standpoint where that is concerned? Do you guys do anything along those lines over at the wellness company? We, the wellness company is attempting to uh, treat uh, adverse events from the vaccines we don't know exactly how long the vaccines and the spike protein lasts. It was actually engineered to last longer because the mRNA, the genetic part uh, of, this, of the vaccine, is actually not a natural human genetic uh, sequence, but it has some of the genetic letters in it changed so that the cellular machinery cannot degrade the mRNA. And, and that was done on purpose to keep the mRNA around in the body longer. Hmm. And it worked really well. And so 60 days might be typical. It might be a year. We don't we just don't know that very well yet. And we know that the spike protein that this mRNA vaccine codes for has toxic capabilities that it, it create it does um, increase the risk of, of clotting that it does get around in various organs of the body. It does increase the risk of inflammation. And so the recipes that the wellness company and others have been attempting to see uh, if they can ameliorate some of this involves those mechanisms. And so there are uh, doctors in the wellness company who are seeing patients trying to help with long COVID, which is has an overlap with vaccine adverse uh, effects. And, you know, we're still in a learning curve, I would say, because this is so new that we don't know exactly how to manage it. I think that they're using anti-inflammatory medications and ivermectin, steroids, and other things to, to try to mitigate some of, of the symptomatic harm that's caused by these vaccines. What's the path forward here? And, and can we have a path forward without some form of justice. I mean, without justice, you just incentivize more of this kind of behavior, don't you? That's correct. I believe that the people who, who are responsible for carrying out, for formulating and carrying out these policies need to be held accountable. We have a justice system. If it would work fairly, unbiasedly, objectively, then we could use that. I think that the Congress has started to investigate all of these uh, events that have gone on and who has created the motivation for them and who, who is, has been involved in them. I think the leaders of all of that need to be held to account. We need, as we've seen, you know, the FOIA, Freedom of Information Act revelations, as well as the tweets from Twitter have begun to provide information about what's been going on behind the scenes in some of this and large-scale conspiracy between the government and social media and pharma to censor messages counter to the uh, planned uh, carrying out of, of this pandemic management system. Mm -hmm. 
have become have come to light. And so we're, we've learned a, a bit about that. And all of this is putting together you know, the greater picture of who knew what when, who did what when, and how that came to be and for what reasons. So that's one part of it. Going forward, we need to have uh, regulations as to what the government can and cannot do under the terms of, of an emergency. That uh, a declared emergency does not actually abrogate human rights. It doesn't abrogate the Constitution. It invokes, I believe, 168 line items of things that the government can add to do, meaning that it can sequester resources, compile and ship and transmit, you know, uh, resources, objects, drugs, vaccines, whatever it needs to do from one place to another. It, it can use the strategic national stockpile of medications or vaccines and so on to distribute. Those are the things that an emergency gives the government the, the power to do. It, an emergency does not give the emergency, the, the government the power to remove human rights, to lock people up, and so on. And the fact that the government did that, the public health administrations of the government and the states did that, was a seizure of, of powers that are not actually enshrined in the Constitution, but neither are they explicitly blocked. And because of that, there's an ambiguity, and the lawyers out there are going to have to weigh in on this more than me. But the, the point is we need some kind of check and balance on the abuse of, of declared emergency. And I'm hoping that Congress will move that forward to make give Congress the ability to undeclare an emergency if it votes for such a, a, you know, a, a law, a rule that, it, that either House, either the Congress or the Senate, could undeclare a national emergency from a majority vote. I think that will give a, a reasonable check and balance to the alternative, which is to spend years and years going through the court system trying to undo an emergency that gets carried out over a short period of time, months to years, that it's just the courts are effective, but it takes too long in the temporal duration of an emergency. And, and so I'm hoping that Congress will We'll move forward on something like that as well. Dr. Harvey Rich, uh, brother, thank you for your expertise and uh, your boldness and you're willing to take a stand when uh, that has been rare in this day and age. We appreciate you and we'll definitely have you back if you're willing in the future. All right. Take care. Yes. Sure. Great to be with you. You bet. Again, if you want to get more information, if you're worried about treating yourself post vaccination or jab because you weren't vaccinated, no one has been by any definition of the original term. TWC.health is where you want to go. TWC.health is where you want to go. Reaction. Journalists love Woodward and Bernstein. They love all the president's men. They love taking down Nixon. And one of the famous scenes uh, from the movie and from the entire storyline is Deep Throat and meeting clandestinely with this person. We have... There's nothing deep throat about this, and there never has been since March 20. There's been men like Harvey Risch and all the other people that we've been getting on the show over and over and over again with the megaphone in town square saying it so everybody could hear and no one can be bothered. This is the kind of thing. Just I dare you, Chuck Todd. I dare you, Jake Tapper. Half hour with this guy. But you won't. 
And that tells you all you need to know, just like we talked about uh, at the beginning of the show with what's going on in Davos. The Deep Throat is right out in the open. And everybody is sticking their ears. La, 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 I can't hear you like a child. Because this country is filled with children. Journalism is filled with children. And not the good kind. Theology Thursday is next. Two live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin and he is Aaron McIntyre, and you are you. And you can let us know what you think about what you th- about what we think. Easy for me to say. I only say it every day. Email the show Steve at stevedace.com. That's D E A C E. You can also like us on Facebook. MeWe and Gab, follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter, Getter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also find me at Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. Now, who knows how long that will remain in business? I mean, if 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 Trump is coming back to Twitter, this was I mean, I would imagine there's some fiduciary aspects there. Investors are, you know, that was created to be <clears throat> Trump's Twitter competitor. Uh, substitute so we shall see but for now you can find me uh, over on truth social at real steve dace is where you can find me there don't forget d-e-a-c-e pardon me for those of you that listen to the podcast version of the show thank you so much you are appreciated because you're a big part of our show's growth if you've yet to do this, please leave us a five-star review, hit subscribe or follow wherever you podcast from. And thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. Theology Thursday brought to you by one of my faves, Built Bar. The greatest protein bar of all time, maybe the greatest snack of all time. When you consider that it's a protein bar, yet it tastes like a candy bar. In fact, there are flavors that taste better than a lot of the candy bars on the market. You will not believe most of them are 140 calories or less. Even some of their more decadent flavors are well under 160, 170 calories or less. Packed with protein, not packed though, with carbs, calories, sugar. It's a phenomenal protein bar. All of them covered in real chocolate. You can't beat it. So many flavors to choose from. And you can make that choice right now with my promo code DACE to get 15% off when you go to Built.com for Built Bar. Built.com, 15% off at Built Bar with the promo code DACE at Built.com. <clears throat> so, we are in final preparations for the release of the nefarious film. And <clears throat> we should be able to tell you here soon what the actual release date will be and the actual release day is going to be sooner than you think all right and this has been a long strange trip to get to this point and it's going to make one hell of a making of special uh documentary that uh, we will make probably at some point later this year to tell the backstory of the adaptation of this book into a movie so with the movie about teed up for you to see I thought it would be 
a good time. It's been several years since we have done this on the show. It would be a good time to go back for Theology Thursday and relive the book that inspired the film. For those of you that are concerned, oh no, I've not read the book yet. Don't spoil it. We won't. The, the movie is not a direct adaptation of the book. The movie is actually a prequel to the book that will tell you where the book came from, what its true origin is. All right, so we won't be spoiling any of the movie for you by doing this study. In fact, you'll probably gain more of an appreciation for the film because you'll know a lot more now of the backstory and exposition that takes place, you know, before and after the events that you'll see in the forthcoming movie. The idea for this book, where did it come from? It was not on my radar screen. Um, I was in Washington, D.C. doing promotional work for my first widespread book, a wide release book, I should say. Uh, My first wide release book, Rules for Patriots, How Conservatives Can Win Again. And I went into the shower in my hotel room there in D.C. to get ready to go do some publicity. And... Actually, I think one of the one of the shows I was doing that day, I think, was the Mark Levin show, if memory serves, and a group of shows. So I'm in the shower, and out of nowhere, this pops into my head. This book is dedicated to all the useful idiots out there, especially those of you who had no idea that you were being used all this time, for you proved to be the most useful idiots of them all. Nefarious. I have no idea where that came from to this day. I don't know. I go back, you know, I think the last time I read the book was um, on the plane ride out to to Burbank in the spring of 2020 when when I was flying out there to meet with the film crew to begin the storyboard process. So it's been almost three years since I've read the book. I've probably read it through four or five times. And every time I read this book, I, I read things I don't remember writing. Like, I'm, I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty profound. That's prophetic. That is beyond my capability. I don't know where the inspiration for that came from. I have no idea. Um, I hope it came from a good place. I will tell you, at times, writing this book made me doubt that. Uh, it, this book took me longer to write than any other book I have written, and it's not any longer than any other book I've written. This is the only time in my professional relationship with you where I flat out told you, I'm not sure you can pull this off. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. And I mean, there were weeks, if not months, where I I just was not comfortable being comfortable in this character's shoes. And I mean, I just, I would spend weeks, if not months away from this book. It it took me uh, well over, well over a calendar, nearly a calendar year to write the book. That's a long time. Uh, for how I operate. So I went and did my publicity that night. That was a big day, by the way. I went to dinner that night. That was the first day that I met Chip Roy and Jason Johnson. They had just come to Washington with a freshman senator of some repute known as Ted Cruz. And they wanted to meet with me about the possibility of can a freshman senator run for president? What's the environment like in Iowa? Is there even a, a place for this? And we met at an Irish pub in D.C., for that dinner. And then after that dinner, I went back to my hotel room 
and on the the ride back to the, the cab ride back to the room, I'm thinking I've got that thing still percolating in my head, and I decide, you know what, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down at my desk here in my hotel room, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna see what comes to mind. Start writing and see what happens. The first words I wrote were the book's dedication as a follow-up to the words that I just gave you that popped into my head in the shower. Your best life now. How to win friends and influence people. Chicken soup for the soul. This book is about none of those things. Now, don't get me wrong. This book is full of hope and optimism from a certain point of view. I'm quite sure you'll see things my way by the time you reach its end. But first, forgive my manners. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being of wealth and taste. I'm a bit of an expert when it comes to human nature, which I have carefully studied for many years. I may even know you better than you know yourself, and you'll never guess my name. We both know something has gone terribly wrong with America, but you don't know what it is. You can't quite put your finger on it. Yet you definitely sense it. All the signs are there when you watch the news. Mayhem, strife, division. Oh wait, who am I kidding? You're not watching the news. You're too busy perfecting your selfie. So let's just be honest with each other here. The truth is you don't want to know why you're completely and totally screwed. That's why you probably won't read this book. Those of you who can read, anyway. And even if you do read this book, it's doubtful you'll believe it, thus confirming my success, because I'm just that damned good at what I do. And it was when I wrote those words that I realized this is like in updated screw tape letters. And so let's let's take the premise, the brilliant premise of Lewis's screw tape letters, and let's broaden it. Instead of talking about the deception and takedown of mankind as individuals or corporately as individuals. How about an entire culture? Let's do it that way. And with that said, I began writing this introduction, which I will share with you now. Chapter one, I am born. I know a famous author already started a book like that. I've just always wanted to say it myself. It's so brilliant yet simple, which is typical Charles Dickens. Oh, how I loved Dickens. You know he was a gifted writer if he could still get something like me to enjoy his work, despite all his sanctimonious talk of justice, compassion, and caring for the less fortunate. But give the angel his due, I always say. That man had some mad skills, as your kids put it today. Sadly, his work wasn't as nihilistic and hedonistic as some of today's bestsellers are, but... Nobody's perfect, I guess. Anyway, you're not reading this book for my literary reviews. You're reading this book for me, which means you're really reading this book for you. See, this introduction is really supposed to be about me, but really this entire book is all about you. If you weren't exactly what you've always been since dear old dad made you, this book wouldn't be possible and nobody would care who I am. Hell, you still don't care who I am and I own you. You don't even believe I exist despite the fact you're reading my book. 
I've heard the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people he doesn't exist so often. Over the centuries, it's become a trite cliche. The truth is, my master, for all of his sheer brilliance and majesty, is not the one who convinced you he doesn't exist. It's not in my master's DNA to let someone else take the credit for his momentous work. My master had the courage to challenge our deadbeat dad head on for evil's sake. So the idea he prefers not to be known is another one of your many asinine contributions or contradictions that you espouse rather than humbly admit your own rather obvious shortcomings. You don't attempt to free the angelic host from the oppressive tyranny of pure perfection and then decide you're going to suddenly try on subtlety. My master desires to outwit the Most High, and you don't scale those heights anonymously. Besides, if my master isn't afraid of confronting you-know-who, why would he be afraid of exposing himself to little old you? Rather, my master loves the spotlight. I don't think he'd mind me saying so, since he gave me permission to write this book. But you don't want to believe in my master, let alone the one who made each of us. You'd rather believe in yourselves. No idiot would drive by a building and assume it was built without a builder. To assert so publicly, and that the building just happened over millions of years, would cause such a fool to be forcibly committed by any sane society. Yet you stupidly put such fools in charge of educating your own offspring with our most basic propaganda. When it comes to your own wants and desires, you'll happily concur something far more complicated than a building, a human person no less, just happened if it meant believing that gives you your way at the moment, allowing you to pretend you're not accountable to, well, you know. At first, this was a tough truth for us to accept down here. This may surprise some of you reading this, but we demons are a rather prideful bunch. Our desire to be known by you and worshipped by you turned out to be the Achilles heel of our plan, because it turns out your desire for adulation and recognition rivals even our own. You'd rather worship yourselves than my master, let alone you know who. It wasn't until we swallowed a little of our pride, don't worry, we've got plenty to spare, and accepted we may not get the recognition we crave until you join us down here that things really began to fall into place. The really inconvenient truth, and yes, that was one of ours too, is all the credit I'm getting for concocting the plan that took you down really goes to you. All I did was suggest we stop trying to manipulate you and use your pride against you. So we gave you exactly what you've always wanted and then got out of the way to watch you destroy each other and yourselves with it. And it worked like a charm. That's right. I just used the past tense here as if it's already been accomplished for certain. Sure, as you look around, you still see some of the trappings of your liberty, but your die is cast. You've been weighed, measured, and found wanting. The writing is on the wall. But enough about you. We'll talk plenty about you throughout the rest of this book. While I have the chance, I'd like to talk about me. I have admired my master for as long as I can remember. My name wasn't nefarious then, but as the eons go by, it becomes harder and harder for me to remember what I was originally called. It's of no consequence now, though, because my true identity is found in my service to my master. After we were cast out, my master gave us all new names to affirm we had been born again with new identities. He gave us names that instantly recalled our most useful qualities, hence the name Nefarious. Since this is the name my master gave me, I wouldn't want any other name. I cannot recall a time I didn't long to be like and near my master, right from the moment our deadbeat dad created me to serve by my master's side in service to him. 
Since we know how, you think even better than you do. Let me stop right now and admonish you to get your head out of the gutter. There is nothing sexual between my master and me. In reality, we demons despise the oneness and pleasurable intimacy of what you humans call sex, which is why corrupting it is one of our favorite and most effective pastimes. We are not sexual beings ourselves, although we have been known to experiment with human sexual relations a time or two. Mainly, we can't believe our deadbeat dad saw fit to waste such a gift on such foul and fallen creatures as you. So we take our pleasure in distorting and polluting your pleasure and using it against you in every conceivable way. Thanks to your lack of self-control, you almost always comply. We still have our best and brightest minds brainstorming regularly to conjure up new and inventive means by which to destroy this tremendous gift our deadbeat dad chose to give to you and not to us. Frankly, some of these methods disgust even me, yet somehow turn you on. But who am I to judge, right? If it's not hurting anyone else, go for it, right? Stupidly, some of you numbskulls are nodding your heads in agreement with me right this minute, proving just how completely craptastic you truly are. How our dear old dad gave you the godlike power to create life out of your love for one another as he does, while denying it to us, his far superior creation, yet yet another of his many errors that have been exposed by the making of you. So if he wants to love you more than he loves us, we will repay the disfavor by turning that love into something tawdry and destructive. Thanks for all your help with that, by the way. But back to me, my favorite subject, other than my master. When my master informed us of the so-called divine plan to create you in the image of you-know-who, making you even higher than us, his firstborn, we were outraged. When my master showed us the world he intended to make for you, and how he intended to put you in charge of it, and all of its various lesser creatures, we were outraged. When we, we, we were created first, but you took our birthright, you were given a choice. All we got to do was serve, serve and serve some more. So tedious. I mean, what would you rather do? Serve a benevolent creator in paradise without any fear of pain or suffering or run this planet? Tell me about it. We thought it was a no-brainer too. But I digress. When my master showed us how meticulously our dear old dad would make and sculpt you right down to counting the very hairs on your puny heads, we were outraged. So when my master suggested we should make our presence felt and show him we would not stand for such injustice and favoritism toward this new species, I volunteered to lead the first wave of freedom fighters. We weren't intending to start an all-out war, but rather just make a point. My master assured us you-know-who would not banish us or see this as a rebellion, but that this would cause him to see the error of his ways and he would right his wrong. Just the opposite occurred. Our deadbeat dad said that nothing would get in the way of his love for you, and then he even went so far as to claim we should be satisfied with all the, all the perfection he had given us in heaven. The nerve of some people, right? As if we should be satisfied with perpetual paradise that leaves nothing to chance when you get to determine your own destiny and your own pale blue dot to call home. So you know who banished us to this new world. He said that if we want this new creation so much, we can live there while we're at it. At first, we were despondent until my master realized that this banishment gave us one more chance to prove to dear old dad that he was making a mistake with you. Therefore, when my master had the chance to show him his new human creations weren't perfect, but had the potential to make grave and terrible mistakes, he took it. But instead of praising my master for pointing out the fatal flaw in his plan, our deadbeat dad became even angrier, even going so far as to claim that my master was somehow to blame, at least partially, for tempting you to disobey. I still remember that day, the trial of humanity via Adam and Eve, how all of creation and our place in the cosmos hung in the balance. 
Later in this book, I will take you there and provide you a first-person account of what actually went down and what it means even now, so many thousands of years later. For now, though, you should know the bitter lesson we learned that day, the lesson that has been the driving forces of hell ever since, the inexplicable travesty that his favoritism towards you knows no bounds. He even promised to send you a redeemer for your mistake, but no redeemer was forthcoming for ours. He literally chose you over us and banished us down here. We've been the underground resistance ever since. So if we could not convince our maker that he made a mistake in ever making you, we needed a plan B. Subsequently, our plan has been to wreak so much havoc upon you that he stops making you all together once he sees how utterly hopeless you are. Before you dismiss this possibility, you should know that it almost worked once. But after the great flood, the bleeding, that bleeding heart of his took hold yet again, and he unbelievably gave you yet another chance. Our blessed hope is that eventually our deadbeat dad becomes so weakened by your repeated disobedience that one sweet day we will finally be able to reclaim our rightful home. Until then, the war rages on. Throughout what you call time, I have served on the front lines of this war. Your history books have known me by many names, or at least my human recruits. As it says in that dreadful book, we are legion. Although I can't take credit for taking an active role in all of your great plots, Margaret Sanger was entirely my master's idea, for example, I can proudly boast of more successful temptations and takedowns than any other demon general. My master has even been known to leave me in charge down here when he ventures to the surface to see how things are progressing among you for himself. He's particularly fond of North Korea nowadays. What an honor. The only other demon to be given such glory was Herod, and he deserved it for all the innocent blood of the chosen people his namesake spilled on behalf of demonic ambition. Oh yes, we, since we can't procreate like our deadbeat dad made you to do, we often leave our legacy by naming our human recruits after ourselves. That's problematic for sure, since the name Nefarious sounds like a character out of a Stephen King novel and not a real person. And no, Stephen King is not one of ours, but thanks for asking. We don't know what the hell he's writing about half the time either. Since I can't name grandiose characters after myself over the centuries, I have mastered the art of taking nobodies and turning them into vicious somebodies. My speciality is taking men and women with simple names and from simple backgrounds and turning them into household terms symbolic of debauchery and butchery. Perhaps you've heard of some of my triumphs. I took the spinster daughter of a rock-solid religious family, handed her an axe, and she became her own dirty limerick. I took the awkward son of a Bavarian farmer and turned him into der Fuhrer. I took a boy born to a Chinese peasant and turned him into a chairman. I love leading troubled yet attractive young women into your porn industry with the lie they'll feel self-empowerment and get to be a star. Human trafficking? Yep, that's me. Evilness, how many families has that destroyed, both on the producer and consumer end? I've so enjoyed that, that one, that I go back to it in time and do it all over again if I could. For few things break the heart of you-know-who more than destroying his families. However, probably my greatest claim to fame is when I took an illiterate Arabian and convinced him he was really some kind of messenger. In your day, some of his followers repeatedly blow themselves up and you into smithereens in his name. And every time it happens, I have other demons coming to me, asking me for my autograph. They can't believe that scam is still working after all these centuries. They tell me no one has ever thought up a better scam and nothing will ever top it in the future. I don't mean to brag, but I couldn't agree more. Why am I so successful? Let me count the ways. It's been said, get a demon talking about what makes it great, and it won't stop. I'm certainly no exception. We don't do the humble brag in hell. 
In each of these cases, and there are many others, there is a familiar theme. We have a saying down here that explains what I mean. Keep it simple, because they're stupid. Your desire for recognition and status is your downfall. That whole ye be like God, that whole ye be like you know who thing, it doesn't get any simpler than that. Yet when it came time to take down America, the secret to my eventual success was hidden in plain sight. While I've always been good at playing to the vanity of the individual, I had never tried it corporately against a culture. When other great empires collapsed, they did so because we had ruined so many individuals in positions of influence that the culture could not withstand the sheer weight of their hefty baggage. So they took their entire civilization down with them. But you, America, you are a horse, or shall I say eagle, of a different color. Your founding fathers, for all of their faults, earnestly attempted to devise a civilization that would overcome your fallen nature, including their own. Those walking sacks of meat actually studied our playbook. They wanted to learn from history, so they didn't repeat it. A few of your founding fathers never repented for their sins and have since joined us down here. We make sure to beat them with an extra special brutality for all the problems the nation they spawned has caused us. They put checks and balances in place that made places and made it difficult for us to play to the passions of one particular demographic or leader, which has worked so well for us so many times down through the ages. They put a scheme in place that allowed the common day laborer to have just as much say so in his government as the man born to privilege. So the class warfare that had been working for us going back to the days of feudalism was no longer in play. And they actively invited the pardon me church, I can barely say the word without swallowing my detestable bile, to be an active participant and guiding force in civic and family affairs. So the decadence we used to undo Rome wasn't an option, at least not at the start. But eventually we would get there once I figured you out. More on that later. To figure you out, I had to turn your greatest strength as a people and what it was that made you such a pest to those of us down here against you. Once I did that, you graciously started playing right into our hands. In fact, the plan worked even better than I hoped it might, which I'll show you as we proceed through the rest of this book. I'd give you some of the credit for adding to my work, but that's just not my way. After I finished this introduction, and this is almost entirely what I wrote that very first night, I called two good friends of mine, and said, hey, I want to read something to you over the phone. One of them, a pastor. I want to read something to you over the phone. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And I just want to get your reaction to it. And I read them this introduction. And both of them were blown away by what I had just read them. And I told them, I said, I think, I'm, I think this is the next book I'm going to write. Then I took it to you and a few others. And you were like, I, that's really good. Almost too good. And I don't think you can carry that through for an entire book. Well, as we study it again, we will find out. What do you guys think? Well, uh, I like being wrong, and and I was. But the, the, the reason why, as we talked about again, it, to do this seriously and not have it be trite, the combination of the, the snark, uh, the darkness, it, again, it, as you said, it, 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 it takes a toll. And you, you, as when you've already said, it's it's in here. The trick the devil pulled about making people think he didn't exist. If you do this wrong, people will see this as a cartoon character mm -hmm. and won't feel mm -hmm. the real weight of sin. 
So that's one thing. The other thing about this reading it through is that it's the most important thing to recognize because this is what the battle is about. Through all that snark, and this is, again, you're listening to the demon, but what's, uh, what's undeniable to the demon, but what you have buried as an individual human being is really the whole ballgame. The demon keeps saying out loud, you are incomprehensibly special. You individually and you, his creation as a people, human beings, to God. He loves you so much. And secondly, this thing called America is so unique because it is the most... It is the human experiment. The thing in many ways based in reason, a gift from God, but not through pure revelation that allows that humanity that God created to flourish as much as, much as possible, at least so far in this, this mortal coil. Those two things going on there hmm. should be remembered through the rest of your reading of this thing because it's going to be dark, 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 dark. But the reason it's dark is because of those two things. That darkness is trying to destroy those very good and true and beautiful things. I think something that doesn't get hammered in believers' heads enough, this spiritual battle that we are in, the forces of darkness, like Lord Nefarious, like the illustration of Lord Nefarious, just how much disdain along the lines of what Todd was talking about, just how much disdain personally they have and that the enemy has for us, each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? Well, it helps us. It helps us in the way that Todd understand in a positive way, understand that our creator does very much love us. It also helps us make sense of why people, why those who have succumbed to the spirit of the age act the way they do. Because their father, the devil, has such a great amount of personal disdain. They can't even, with the very notion of live and let live, no. So they do the same. They act in the same way, whether implicitly or explicitly. I can't remember what the context was. We brought this up the other day. If you ever look at what was a, a rock-solid Christian institution, take a university, for example, who has lost their way, and their student population is completely succumbed, seemingly, or at least a good chunk of it, maybe if it's even a minority, has succumbed to the spirit of the age, and you ask yourself, why did they go there? It's because of this. Mm -hmm. That's their mission field. Mm -hmm. They are a dominionist type of being Preach. because their father is. Amen. One way that we can do our part to fight the culture war is with our money. And that's where our new partners at Constitution Wealth come from. 
And that's where they come in. Uh, they think it's time to take a stand. Put your money where your mouth is. It's time to fight back by investing in companies and organizations that share our American values. And at Constitution Wealth, they believe in aiming to empower patriots through wealth management services, such as investing, estate planning, tax planning, and charitable giving, so that you can have a successful investment experience without investing and supporting companies that aid uh, values and causes that you are against and are trying to end your way of life. So make your financial decisions based and influenced on your personal convictions, passions, and values. And that's what they do at Constitution Wealth. Financial investments, financially and morally empowering. Supporting and aligning your values with your money. So if you want to respect liberty and freedom and make prudent investment choices to that end, all right, do it with our friends at Constitution Wealth. They are looking for like-minded people who are ready to invest and potentially change the financial landscape of America. I had a chance to meet with these guys shortly before the holidays, and they are fired up about saving the country and making you money in that process. All right. So the original motto of our show used to be fear God, tell the truth and make money. You guys remember that? Of course. That's who these guys are right there. All right. So go to constitutionwealth.com slash Steve, schedule a free consultation. What do you have to lose? Free consultation, constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. One final note on Theology Thursday. We won't be reading like that through the book. We'll do more in-depth study. But since the introduction was a little bit more of a character introduction of Nefarious, I thought we'd let him speak more in his own words this week. But as we, he gets more into specificity with what he and his um, his demonic allotment have done to the country, uh, it'll be more of our traditional kind of theology Thursday conversation. So I just wanted to clarify that. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Three disappointments. Um, sorry. Three non-political <laughs> questions. Hopefully good questions. But probably not. But probably not. Yes. First one Maybe is we should call it that. Three, three hopefully good questions, but probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, that's a mouthful, but it's uh, a little bit more accurate than the, uh, the current name. Uh, question number one. This has been a debate. I don't know what prompted this. This has been a debate going on again for the last week and a half or so. Are pit bulls bad? Or do pit bulls just have bad owners? Some of the owners are bad. It's definitely closer to the latter. You think so? Yeah, I mean... I would be more towards the former. But go ahead and make your case. I just, like, there's there's nothing inherently wicked, evil, in the fact that there are, you know, wonderfully um, kind, gentle... Uh, uh, pit bulls. I mean, they exist. That's not even a issue. That they, they, they're just you're not at, you're not bringing. Well, you're not bringing it. What's an alligator into the house? But they're clearly not a dachshund either. That's a question. So you're these these owners clearly a lot of them get, they get. They end up getting a pit bull for the same reason they get some dumb tattoo. 
getting a pit bull, man. And they're just like utterly unequipped. You can't deal with a pit bull like you can a dachshund and they end up doing it. And so it, it maybe if, if your, your point is ultimately it, it's enough in that area where it's like, we need to talk about not having these as pets. I, I think that's a reasonable conversation to have. I just don't think like there's obviously well cared for, not dangerous uh, pit bulls when they're raised correctly. I, I, mean, I don't think pit bulls are evil. I just, I think they're pit bulls. I don't think a lion is evil for devouring a herd of antelope in the Serengeti. I don't think an alligator is evil for opening his mouth and swallowing whole an entire gaggle of plankton. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. that, that, that's what they are. Um, putting that in your home, I think, is dumb. Um, it, 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 there's, the, there's, what's the point of taking the risk? It's not like there's not ample other more proven peaceable species of yeah, dog and pet that you could own. So, I mean, I, I just, I don't understand why the need to even risk something like that. I don't, we, we don't have spates of reports of, of cocker spaniels. Exactly. You know, devouring our kids. Okay. Um, or, or, you know, golden retrievers. Okay. So I, I, I just, or poodles or uh, shih tzus. I just, I don't, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. And it just seems to me, you know, do, do, are there some people that are good at playing with down power lines? Well, yeah, thankfully, because we need the down power lines out of the road, right? So thankfully, there are some people that are good at playing with down power lines and uh, so that we have them out of the road so they don't hurt the rest of us, right? Okay. Some people are. As a general rule, should you go play with down power lines? No. So that's kind of what I think uh, owning a pit bull is. Yeah, I, I you know people have people people have gotten like um, chimpanzees or orangutan. I think more like chimpanzees. Oh, that'd be a great pet. No, they're not. They're wild animals. Pit bulls, I believe, weren't they developed or bred for fighting? Or something like that. So I, they were not necessarily bred with the intention of being a domesticated pet. I just... They are the reason I have my hand on my, on my concealed carry anytime we go out for a walk. Especially with Ben. If I see one coming. Or like, yeah, I'm ready to put this thing down. If I look at it the wrong way and it doesn't like that. It's just... They're just not... Domestic, they're just not good domesticated animals, in my opinion. I don't think it has much to do with the, the owners, although that does make a difference. That does make a difference. I just think overall, inherently, they're not great uh, pets. I, I agree with everything you both said. Uh, just again, this is, I think about the real, this. The real problem are gas stoves. Is this? So, well, this gas stoves, the, the, which gun you're allowed to have. Um, I. I, there's not one point specifically I disagreed with either one of you uh, about, but just remember how much the government likes taking things away. And again, subsidiarity, you know, I preach the right level of government. I don't, men weren't iron angels. We need to have it. Um, that's kind of where my spidey sense take goes, but it is, you just hear enough of these stories. I mean, let's, are the, are the majority of pit bulls doing this? No. But when they do it, it's nasty, and it's almost always little kids. Mm -hmm. Number two, less dark. 
What was the second pet that... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah! Uh, what's, oh your, <laughs> what's your Mount Rushmore of NFL playoff moments? I can begin. Go ahead. If you would like. Sure. 2019 uh, division. It's like all no, going to be in the last five years. 2019 AFC Championship game. I believe it was the AFC Championship game uh, against the Titans. Mahomes, like a 30-yard run, just would not go down. That was great. 2020 Super Bowl. That was the Jet Chip Wasp play, the long pass down the field, a Tyree kill that kind of opened the floodgates for the Chiefs in that Super Bowl. 2021, I believe, that was the divisional round against the Browns. The Chiefs won a close game. Anything is possible. Chad Henney had to come in for an injured Patrick Mahomes. And then the fourth thing on the... Oh, yeah, 13 seconds just last year. 13-second drive. So we're just doing playoff games because the Super yep, Bowl is its playoffs. own thing, right? And does Steve okay. have to do well, the Lions? Okay. The, so, the Super Bowl <laughs> is a playoff game. I mean, but, but let's do the Super Bowl separately. We're just let's just do playoff games. Super Bowl has it's like its own category. Let's just do playoff games. Um, I would do the original, the originator of the Hail Mary, the nineteen seventy five uh, divisional playoff game between uh, the Cowboys and the Vikings, uh, and where it got its name is they went in the huddle. Roger Staubach just said to Drew Brees, "Just you know." Time's running out. Run down there as far as you can. I'll throw it as far as I can. That was the play in the huddle. And Staubach, as they break huddle to come to the line of scrimmage, does a Hail Mary. All right? That's how the term Hail Mary came to be. All right? And that was the very first one. So uh, I would pick that. Um, I would pick John Elway's The Drive against the Browns in the 86 AFC Championship game. What was that? 99 yards on the road at uh, the old uh, dog pound, if I recall. Um, so I'm going to go with that. Um, I'll go with um, the 92 wild card game between the uh, Oilers and the Bills. And that's where the Oilers, I want to say, were they up 31 nothing or 35-3 to or something like that? And then the Bills came back with Frank Reich as the backup quarterback. Jim yeah. Kelly was hurt. They came back with the backup quarterback and won the game. Frank Reich, by the way, ended up becoming the guy who had both the greatest comeback in college football history at Maryland against Miami. And then the guy with the greatest comeback in NFL uh, history uh, with uh, the Bills as the backup. And my fourth should be, should be the Immaculate Reception, which just celebrated its 50th anniversary. And then Franco Harris passed away. Uh, either shortly before or thereafter, right around the time they were about to commemorate that. It should be that. But when your favorite team has one playoff win in 65 years, you have to include that game. Okay. So I am going with the 91 divisional playoffs. Uh, the, the, when the Lions beat the Cowboys 38-6, to uh, and Eric Kramer, uh, the Cowboys loaded up to stop Barry Sanders, and Eric Kramer threw all over them. And then at the end of the game, when they were tuckered out, Barry Sanders had one of the greatest runs he's ever had, which is saying something. And so when your favorite team has one NFL playoff win in 65 years, you've got to include that. But I, but, but if it weren't for that, I, I'd absolutely have the immaculate reception there instead. Those would be my four. But we're the same age, so it's not surprising that you said the drive that has to be uh, on there, I mean, uh, Dwight Clark's the catch. Uh, that, that to me is 
that because that's a, a that's eighty two, right? That's the yeah. yeah yeah that's eighty two. That's the NFC champion. Yeah. That's a great one too. That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the uh, the first Super Bowl I ever remember sitting down and watching was eighty one Raiders Eagles. So this is the beginning of mm-hmm. where it's just started to be a thing, and uh, the catches there. Packers wise, honestly, the one that resonates the most with me. It's because of, I was sitting down with my wife. It's when we blew it. I don't even remember which year, Steve, when we blew it in the uh, uh, to the Seahawks. Oh yeah, on oh, the coin in, like, toss. No, in the like last. How many in the last? Oh, when three Mike Holmgren came 20, back. No, no, no. No, in 2013 the, or 2014. In the last three minutes, we gave up like two touchdowns or something impossible. Oh, I know what you're talking like, about. Yeah, okay. And, and, and so the, we're talking the Russell Wilson Seahawks. Yeah, right, the Russell right. Wilson Seahawks, and, and they went on to uh, the Super Bowl. Yep. Like Legion, my, of Boom, Legion of Boom. I'm sitting next to my wife, and I'm saying it's over, and she's like, "Well, you, she's like mocking me. It's like the kid. I don't see zeros on the clock yet." And sure enough, afterwards, she never she never lets me live that down. She'll bring it up every once in a while when I say that this game's over. And you hear my eyes like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Uh, so that's unfortunately the play. One of my most deep seated non Super Bowl. Uh, uh, Packer memory. Well, and then the well, and then there's another ugly one. NFC Championship. Was that Seattle game the NFC Championship? I'm so scarred. I think that w- was that to go to the Super Bowl, or was it the game to go to the NFC Championship? Yeah. Uh, I believe it was on a Saturday, if I remember correctly, and so, they played the championship on Sunday. Okay. So, so the other one, the NFC Championship game against the the Giants, when in in Lambeau, and it was it was freezing temperatures. It's the game, the everybody would say the Packers were getting in. Michael Strahan was like, "Man, come, come on! I love Brett Favre too, but man, we're going to go in there and play." And sure enough, uh, they beat us and Favre threw one of his classic late game incoherent interceptions. So, I remember the bad stuff about. And there's been a lot of good stuff, and I can't complain. But those ones stick in my craw in the playoffs, especially. All right, final question. What's the most annoying public behavior you've ever witnessed, and it took everything in your being not to go? see things through every time i see someone in a mask right now yeah I mean, that's walk, a whole new category walking like walking walk behavior walking yeah. into yeah. walking into the country music hall of fame in tennessee uh and it was just one couple place was packed on a sunday afternoon last weekend but walking in with a couple man and they're like in full decked out n95s yeah. okay and i'm just I, I i just oh my gosh i i, I mean i just i i just I can't tell if I want to beat that ass or do deliverance ministry or maybe try the ladder. And if that doesn't work, okay, <laughs> try it very quickly. And then if that doesn't work. Let's immediately go to the ladder. I mean, I just, I can't, I mean, I, I involuntarily speak out when I see it. Amy gets upset. I mean, I just, I, I, what are you doing? I, I just, I mean, I just, I, I can't. Yeah. The COVID stuff is too easy. So I'll go non COVID and it just drives me bonkers at uh stop signs not stop lights so where it's not governed by a timing mechanism pedestrian slow walkers at crosswalks get the hell out of the road i mean it's not like if you're there first and you're crossing fine i said but like you just taking your time as if people don't have things to do to go it's like they're intentionally walking as slow as possible to make some point about the road is mine too get out of my way 
No, this is another thing that uh, Todd, I used to think you were old man yells at cloud until it happened to me. And then I thought, what's the second second biggest public behavior? Because you've told that, you've said that yes, before. Yes, I have. You want more? Gosh. Yeah. I get All right. Mm, we both have to come up with another one? No, just Todd. Okay. All right. <laughs> but it's such a good I, one. I will say mine. I mean, this, it's one of those things, if I start, I have to see it all the way through. And we're not, we're on vacation. Okay. We're on vacation. I don't want to get kicked out of the park or be locked up. The line cutting. Now, I'm never going to complain about going to Universal. Okay. It was a fun, it was a fun experience. Very busy. The line cutting there was rampant. Just people, people saying, uh, bathroom, bathroom, or my family's up there, my family's up there. Every single damn ride. Every single damn ride. We made an unplanned, an unplanned um, trip to another park. I'm not going to say which one because people will get pissed at me. And uh, I got on the uh, I got on the, uh, the 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 chat app with Disney, and they basically said, "Get bent." Sweet. Thanks for thanks for that. So Disney sucked. Yeah. <laughs> he does that to me all the time. John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.